Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Stratton. Merry Christmas, everybody. My name is Pastor Josh, and if you haven't met me yet, I am the assistant pastor here. And I don't know about you, but I am ready for Christmas. How many of you feel like you're ready for Christmas? No. That's good. That's good. I'm about to get you ready for Christmas. Um, My notes have disappeared. That's bad. What paper? Digital is good. Except for today. (laughs) So, um, what are some of the things that get you, like, in the Christmas mindset? Um, Christmas music? Yes. How many... How many of you, uh, be honest, started listening to Christmas music right after Halloween? That's right, sinners. (laughs) It's not that I don't like you, I just don't like it. Um, No, you you gotta wait till Thanksgiving, guys. Thanksgiving is a holiday, you know, you gotta celebrate that too. Now, we we started listening to Christmas music too at my house um that early and it does it has it has a ability to sort of i don't know calm things or or get you get you thinking and uh how about christmas you get into christmas spirit maybe like because you start doing your your shopping and decorating decorating yeah nobody like has that that special shopping center that they go to that has all the decorations up or anything like that no you're all of course of course not. Um, how about <laughs> Christmas cookies? Christmas cookies? Yeah. Maybe this week, yeah. But, and, and then you'll officially be in the holiday spirit then, right? Because you'll come in and, you know, your kids will be smelling the cookies. And, yeah. Um, for me, it's the, decora- the lights. Yeah, we put the lights up on the tree and the lights up outside and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and a lot of these things, these are good things. Um, and I think in our culture, it has the actual ability to, I don't know, change because it's changing the normal habits of the, of the year. It, it, it has the ability to sort of calm our spirits a little bit. And, and I think this season, actually, with all the, the different um, stuff that we do that isn't necessarily about the true meaning of Christian, Christmas and, and the Christian perspective, it does, I think, it's, I think it ripens our culture to hear about the gospel. And, and so over the last couple of weeks, we've been um, focusing on what the true meaning of Christmas is, that, that Jesus Christ was born and that meant that God is with us and, and the message of the gospel and the salvation of our sins. And, but sometimes this stuff can go overkill, right? And I have a few pictures to help you in case you know, you're struggling with a little overkill. So this, this is when um, you, you've changed from a healthy Christmas spirit to a, 
a non-healthy Christmas spirit. Um, that's just, that's one too many, right? This is, uh, I took this from John's house. No. Um, or how about this? This one here. Now, one of these days, I'm going to find one of these pictures on the, on the internet, and you're going to be like, oh, that's my house. <laughs> and if that happens, I'm sorry. Um, but this might be one too many snowmen or plastic figurines. I'm not sure where the line is, but I don't know about you, but I'm feeling that that might be a little... And I love tacky. And this year, I finally convinced my wife to get blow-ups for the, ch- for the children. For the children. But this might be the line for the blow-ups. Go to the next picture here. Yeah. And I'm not sure what crosses the line, if it's the roof or the fact that you can't see out your windows. But some of you still might be like, okay, where's the line? This next picture is definitely the line. Yeah, there is a house in there. I'm not sure how they get in and out of the house. But that might be just one too many (laughs) blow-ups. So we're just having some fun here. I, I, I want us to truly be in the Christmas mindset. And the passage we're going to read today is actually putting us there. It's describing to us what the original, what God's attitude was when he sent his son. And so if you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. And this isn't necessarily uh, Paul talking about the Christmas story or giving the account of when Jesus' birth was. But it is, is, it's an early hymn. Um, that I believe the Christians uh, in the early days of Christianity started singing to talk about the theology of Christmas. We're talking about the, the actual how it was, the mindset of Christ, what, what happened when Jesus came and was lying there in a manger, and, and what that means for you and for me. And that's what this passage is all about. Paul trying to put us into that original Christmas mindset, the attitude of that of Jesus Christ. And so if, you, if you're there, it's on page 980, if you're using one of the Bibles here from church. And we're going to look at verses, chapter 2 of Philippians, verses... 5 through 11. The Word of God says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found, oh, I'm sorry, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that 
in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, I want to ask a blessing on the study of your word this morning. We praise you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would convince us of your love for us, Lord. That you, Lord, have control, Lord, that you would soften our hearts and, and challenge us and conform our minds, Lord, that our attitudes would be the same as Jesus as this passage asks, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, I know that I'm inadequate, Lord, but would you, by your Holy Spirit, teach us through your word this morning. And so I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So like I said, this is a picture, this is the theology of Christmas, and I, I want to highlight just a couple major things that this is saying uh, to us. You know, we want to have the mindset of Jesus, the attitude of him, and to do that, we've got to understand something very specific. And he starts out there in, in verse 6 by declaring the deity of Jesus. He says in verse 6, Who though was in the form of God. He's saying that Jesus Christ is God. He's saying he was in the form God. He's declaring he is God. And now the word form might kind of be a little bit confusing to us. The, the, the Greek word there for form is actually morphe, and that is, it's, it's not a bad translation, the word form. It's just the, the English word form has other connotations to it as well. It, it could mean like, say I like took the form of something or I, it could change. It could just be outward appearance. But this is deeper than that. This form is like, this is the actual form of God. He is in form God. He is in essence God. In, in, in other translations say, in nature, he is by nature God. And maybe a better example would be this, like, you know, I am human. Uh, but some people may question that. I know my wife does. But I am human, and nothing's really going to change that. I, my form is human, right? I could put on a different jacket. I could put on a costume. I could change my hairstyle. I could actually surgically alter my look, even gender change in that sense, like, they, like we talk about in, in our society today. But none of that changes your form or your nature. I am human. If I stop being human then I no longer exist. I can't stop being human because that's my essence, right? And this is what Paul is saying here. Jesus Christ is God. And this is radically important to our understanding of the gospel because it is the fact that Jesus Christ is God that gives him the power, that gives him the authority to die for our sins, 
and conquer sin and death. It is the example, if Jesus Christ is not God, then God does not have the empathy that is required for his love for us. Jesus Christ is God. And he's probably thinking, okay, that's a little bit confusing. Um, maybe, maybe you're even new to the faith or you've been here long enough. Maybe you've heard of some of the things that we've talked about that, that there's three in one, right? There's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. This is the, the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and this is confusing. If, if Jesus Christ is God, then how come he's talking to the Father? How come, like later on, he's obedient to the Father? And these things, these things are, are, are definitely confusing. And the proper understanding of the scriptures and the essence of God is that there is one God and three persons. Uh, and that's difficult. That's, that's mind-blowing. And I, and I, and I got to be honest, like, I, I can't totally explain this one because God is unexplainable. We are physical and God is supernatural above this nature. And so we explain things by the physical. We explain things by what we know, by what we see. And God is not us. God is much bigger than us. And so there is this concept that of the Trinity that God is one, yet he is three. He's one, but three different people. Um, but this is a, so there is some mystery there that honestly I'm, I'm okay with because I realize that God is ridiculously big meaning that he is so much greater than me, he's not me. And that's fine. There's mystery to it. But a lot of times, as Christians, we say, yeah, that's, God's big, that's great, and everything. And then we hang that theology on the shelf. And the, understand, the reason I'm spending time on this today is because to understand the mindset of God, to understand the love of God, to understand the message of the gospel, the doctrine of the Trinity is vitally important. Here's why. God is relational. That's his nature. He is a loving God. He is, in his sense, corporate. He is relational. And so... He creates things to relate to them. But the key of the Trinity is, is that God has a perfect relationship with himself. A perfect relationship with himself that allows him to love. And this is a, a beautiful love. And he has created you so that he might love you. But his love is so pure and so good. It's different than any other love that we'll experience on this planet. And you know why? Because he is three. And he is one. He has perfect relationship with himself. And he doesn't need you. But he loves you anyway. This is beautiful. This is the purest sense of love. A love that is unfettered. A love that isn't dependent upon something. 
This is the nature of God. He has a perfect relationship with himself. And it's so cool that he created us to share who he is with us. He's even made you in his image. And part of that image is the capacity to love. And unlike any other created thing, any other animal, you have the capacity to love and love like God. How freeing would it be if in our relationship with Jesus, we had confidence and satisfaction in Jesus so that we then could love others. Do you see what I'm saying here? If your identity was in Christ, if your satisfaction was in him, if you were getting the love that you needed from God, how freeing would that be to love your spouse? To love your neighbor, to love the difficult people in your life, to love that really annoying kid that sits in front of you in English class. This is the love that God is offering to you. And this explains why it's so important to see him who he really is, a relational being that is perfect in every way, needing no one. And I think the understanding of this pure love is why we see Jesus Christ act the way that he does. The second half of verse 6 says this. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't worried about his status. He wasn't worried about what he has. He, wasn't, he isn't worried about losing anything. He is equal with God, like I said. Jesus Christ comes and says that he empties himself, right? In the next section, it says he empties himself. He takes on the form of a servant, a slave. And he's able to do this because he's not worried about his status. He's not worried about all the great things that he has. He's not worried about that. He can lay it aside his rights, his privileges. This is the character of the God of the universe. And so he does this. It says, right, he empties himself and becomes a servant. He becomes man. He takes on flesh. And I'm not going to go too much into that because we talked a lot about that a couple of weeks ago. Not last week, but the week before that. And if, if you're interested, uh, Pastor Scott does a really good sermon on chapter 1 of John, and you, you should listen to it. But Jesus becomes man. He doesn't empty himself where he stops being deity. That's not possible because then he ceased to exist. Like, I'd stop being human. So he lays, though, all of what that means that he's deity, he puts those rights and privileges and lays them to the side. And for the sake of empathy 
and for the ability to conquer sin and death, he becomes his creation. He empties himself in honor, right? He, what is the stuff that he empties? He, he puts aside his honor. Jesus was spit on. Jesus grew up like, a, like any other child does. He doesn't come in, in riches, you know, if I was God and I was doing this plan, which I'm sure you're all happy that I'm not, I would, I would come and I would, I would, hey, if I'm doing this much sacrifice, you better put me up in some nice places, you know? I mean, when I go on vacation, I don't like downgrading my living situation. If I'm doing something good for you, you, you better put me in a palace, okay? And that's what I'm thinking that, 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 that a God would do, but he doesn't. He, he's in full humiliation here. No honor was he seeking, and he's born basically in a barn and laid in a trough. That's his entrance into the world. And he learns his trade. He's, he's got to learn to, I mean, think about being a baby. He, all he, he's got to learn to communicate. All he can do is cry. He's got he's to learn to go to the bathroom. It's humiliating. He's got to learn, he's got to learn to think. He's got to learn to read. He's got to learn all these different things. This was Jesus. He was the God-man. He is deity, yet lays those things aside. He would be mocked and ultimately killed, beaten. He lays his glory aside. And it's, it's hard to explain the glory of God. I've never seen the full glory of God. If I did, and if any of us did, I think we would be killed. But the best way I could explain this is, um, have you ever been to like a big church or something? Like an old giant Catholic church. There's a, the national, I have a picture of the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. Um, my wife and I went there a couple of years ago, and this is, I'm actually standing out in front of this place. It's just massive. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, you, you, to take it all in, you got to step back. And I'm, I'm a pretty good ways away from the building. I can't actually get far enough to get the picture of the whole thing. And then when you walk inside, it's just as amazing. The, the, the ceilings, the barrel vaults just seem to go on forever. And you cannot, when you walk in there, and I'm sure it's polite to not yell or talk loudly when you go into a church like this, being a sanctuary, but no one has to tell you to do that because you're just, you're in this place that demands you your attention demands i don't know just all and and you know so my wife and i are just whispering like this place is really crazy you know nobody told us to do that right and this is this is glory this is glory 
the awe, the presence of God, that they built these buildings like this so that you would get a sense of God's glory and his presence. Now, in some ways that's bad theology because God does not live in this building. He doesn't live in here. God's not housed by buildings. He's housed by his people. He lives inside of us. But what a beautiful picture. And we've all felt these things before. Were you just the splendor? And God, God's glory is so magnificent. I could only imagine of what it would be like to see it, to get a glimpse of it, and realize then who I am, that God is so much bigger than me. This is the glory of God, and he has to take that and put it aside so that he could live as a human. This is the sacrifice that he give, gave. He gives up not just his status, but his riches. All the riches of heaven is at his fingertips. He gives up, our God is the most powerful, right? We say he is omnipotent. And at any moment, he could snap his fingers and come down off that cross. At any moment, he could call out and all of heaven's angels would come to his command. And he takes all that and he lays it aside. This is the love of Christ. It says he empties himself, he becomes man, humbles himself, verse 8, and becomes obedient. He even lays his own independent intellectual will to the side and becomes obedient. This is the character of God. All the rights, all the privileges, all the power, and God is able to stay. And it's because of his pure love He's able to say, hmm, I'll put it aside, and I'm going to come get him. I'm going to come get you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to be you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to die for you. It says in John 3, 38, the humility he says, I have come down to heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. He was willing to be obedient. And Jesus, the God-man, was willing to be obedient to death. He gave his own life for you and for me. But not just to die like a noble death. Like, you know, that as you read in the, uh, the newspaper or something, someone jumps in front of the subway train and he grabs the guy and he brings him to safety, but he ends up losing his own life because he can't get out in enough time. That's noble. It says, even 
death on a cross. He would die, and it was a gruesome death, a painful death. The, the cross was a place where reserved for the worst of the worst, the criminal. And Jesus would hang there on three nails, one in each hand, and then a little block at the bottom where his feet were, and they were nailed together. And he would sit there and bleed there. And because of his own weight, he would suffocate there. And he's able to kind of push up on that block and take a breath and come back down. And so he would suffer there. But the reason that, 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 that um, Paul is saying this here is to not, not show you just the sacrifice, but the distance he came to save us. Because hanging on that tree was the lowest possible place that a man could be. They didn't even mention the crucifixion in the culture. And I, I was trying to think this week, is there anything we have like that that would be similar to like the cross or just the fear that the cross gave people? And the only thing I come up with, there's, there's a lot of uh, talk in the news today about this, uh, these, these kids. And I have these pictures, these kids. Go ahead and put that picture up. Um, there's like... 60 or 70 of them before prom they're kidding around and I don't know if the photographer or what or even what the intention is but you can see uh, I don't know you might be too far from it but you can see that they're kind of waving but the majority of them it looks like they're giving like the the Hitler salute the Nazi salute and there the, this picture is in some ways has this this fun look to it as these kids are laughing and carrying on but as that gets out, the public is horrified. It's hard to see this picture, honestly. And I don't know, these kids, they got wrong information or what's going on here. But the very act of it, the look of it, brings fear in the hearts of anyone who knows the true history. That represents fear and death Millions of people lost their lives. You don't joke around with that. We won't even talk about that. It's like a curse word to see a swastika or to, for someone to do something like that. It's despicable. And that's what the cross was like. It represents the oppression of the Roman government striking fear in the hearts of those that they occupied. And Jesus willingly gets on that tree and turns it around to a symbol of freedom and hope and love for all the generations to come. This is the message of the gospel, that God would love enough to lay all these things aside to come and get you. And it ends celebrating him and reminding us of the victory that already is Jesus. It says in verse 9, And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. 
That name is Jesus. More clearly, that name is Lord. The God of all. And today he is sitting at his rightful place. And soon every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. On heaven and in hell. The whole universe whether they like it or not, will. There's this beautiful age of the church, though, where God is still standing there showing you his love for you and say, come to me now. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to rescue you. Look how far I came. God's love is powerful. The sacrifice he made was not reckless because of the victory that he knew because he was God that he could conquer sin. He could suffer for the while and conquer sin and raise from the grave and offer this love for you. This is his plan, his character on display and the whole purpose of this little hymn Paul's using this to convince you to love like he loves to convince you to have the same mind as Jesus the, the section right before this says, do nothing out of vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfishness. Think about others better than yourselves. Don't just go to your own interests. Think about the interests of others. And the best example I can give you is Jesus Christ. Have his mindset, the mindset of Christmas, It means relationships. It means the restoration of relationships. It means we have got to be all about helping people to get back to Jesus. Helping people, helping to be part of the restore, be, becoming part of the restorative work that God is doing in our world. We've got to model him. That means forgiveness, not resentment. It means restoration, not condemnation. Christmas time is a great opportunity, right? Some of the people we have the most difficulty with will be coming either to our home or will be going to their home. There is some dark stuff that people have done to us. There are debts that people owe us. And the message of the gospel is finding a way to become the humble servant and serve them so that they may be restored. Let go of the debt. Let it go.
it's going to kill you if you don't. And that person, if you could forgive them, how they might understand the message of the gospel. It means humbling ourselves. You think, how can I take steps towards forgiveness? How can I take steps towards restoration? It starts by looking like Jesus and putting ourselves and our own interests down here and not chasing after pride, putting on the character of Jesus Christ. Is there something you could do? Maybe even, maybe your, your marriage is struggling and maybe your spouse has done some pretty difficult things. Is there something maybe you could strategically do to serve them and serve the situation and remind them of your love and the love of Jesus Christ? That difficult coworker or maybe that, that uh, boss that's just lording over you. What would it mean if you were to humble yourself and serve them like Jesus served us. It's going to cost you something. That's the nature of this. Look at what it cost God to win us back. It says, while we were still sinners, he dies for us. But friends, this is the plan for change. Stop being satisfied with the status quo. Stop trying to protect yourself so much that you don't see change happening in your own world. Stop, don't think of the world as a place that you've got to survive. It's a place that we've got to change. And it starts with us. And the plan is clear. Romans chapter 12 tells us, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. As far as it depends on you, you bring peace to the situation. Strategize about this. Think about this. How can you offer yourself in a healthy way that might change? That's the plan. You don't overcome evil by doing evil back. You don't overcome evil by avoiding it. You don't overcome evil by doing anything but serving it. We overcome evil by doing good. That's the plan. This will convince people to put their trust in Christ. This will, it will melt people's hearts and minds the problem with the world today is not that it's drifting from God the problem with the world today is that the church has lost the original mindset the church has lost the attitude of Jesus Christ and, and the rest of this chapter says, if you do these things, if you obey me, if you follow after me, if you love like me, you will shine in a crooked and depraved generation. Whew, if that's not now, I don't know when it is. 
None of this happens unless we're connected to the pure love. I'm not capable of loving like this if I'm dependent on all you for my satisfaction. I'm not capable of loving my spouse like that is if she crossed me, I lose everything. I'm not capable of loving my co-workers is if what they think about me crushes me and is my identity. If we have our confidence in Jesus Christ, it changes everything and gives us the capacity to love like Jesus. Are you committed to him? Are you connected to him? Are you letting him be your love? Some of you are hearing this for the first time. And maybe you're thinking, I've not seen it this way before. I've kind of, I know that Jesus Christ, you know, was born of a virgin in some of the stories, or maybe you knew a lot more than this. But today, I hope you see that God hasn't come to condemn you and put you in a system of rules and regulations where you might, you know, be uh, robbed of your joy or what the world really has to, and makes you live in some sort of poverty or something. No, the God of the universe proves his love for you and has died for you so that he could have a relationship with you. So today, I challenge you. I I challenge you to put your trust in him. You don't have to have all the doubts figured out. I don't either. I'm not even sure today, the step I'm asking you to take, I don't think you have to acknowledge him as Lord. Some of you aren't ready for that. I believe that's where salvation begins, where we confess that he is Lord. But some of us aren't ready for that yet. But the step you can take today is talking to him and starting to trust him. Ask him to help you with your doubts. Start looking for the answers. Start obeying him. Hear what he's asking you to do and see if it doesn't work out. I promise you that if you get a no from Jesus, that means there's a better yes coming down the pike. And stop hiding all these doubts and start stepping out in faith and trusting him. And then you'll see him as Lord. And so my challenge today is that all of us, we we would pray And for those of you who are thinking about doing this for the first time, I I hope that you'll pray this with me. Let's bow our heads. Please pray this with me. God, help me with my doubts. Help me to trust you. I know that I need a Savior. Would you come into my life and help me? Help me to obey you. I want to declare to you today that I am going to try. And for those of you that have already put your faith in Christ, I said we all pray together. Holy Father.
Help us to have your mind that this Christmas wouldn't be about us, that it would be about you and restoring people to a relationship with you. Lord, use this church. Multiply us, Lord God. Grow us in you. Help us to forgive. Help us to serve. Help us to be empathetic like you, Lord. Coming down to the level of us, Lord, help us to see others that way and, and, and try to understand them and love them like you did us. Father, you know some of the people in our lives that we're struggling with. And I give those relationships up to you, Lord. Help us make changes even today. And we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm really hoping and I'm feeling that somebody here has said, I want to take that next step and start to trust Christ. If you did that, if you prayed at all that, make sure you come talk to me. Um, and, and, and there's a card too. If you want to write it on the card, I would love to see it. And there's a, a white card, the communication card we talked about earlier. If you just, you just mark that or say something on there, and I would love to get you some more information or connect with you about um, your future and your faith. And uh, there's a, a little box on the back table there that you can put them in that says communication cards. Uh, I hope that you would do that for me. May God bless you guys.